and welcome to Q&A Quest episode 296. I am your technologically deficient host, Mike Apps, aka Wheels, and with me as always. Mike'd up so hard, not even got himself in stop for anything on Aster. And this is take two, because I suck and don't check audio levels. Q&A Quest, R colon two. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I finished a game this week. It never happens. Uh, yes. Uh, I finished Dot Heck GU Part 2. Uh, which, yes, which I had been technically at the end of for a bit. I just needed to do a bit of grinding to beat the last boss. And now it is so. So on to Part 3. And another step closer towards uh, my goals on things to beat before Tears of the Kingdom comes out in a little over two months. So, yeah, that's that. What I saying? That hack story is quite good. It sort of sneaks up on you. It's one of those stories that the more that you care about it, then the more that you look into it, the more you get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you about the lore. I won't. I won't do that. It would take a long time. So there's so much of it. Yeah, there's a lot. I've consumed so much of it. And hopefully, how do you feel about hopefully... hack another birth? I don't know what that is, but I was just gonna say, hopefully, at some point, they give us the original uh, quartet of games, but with a bunch of cheats on. Yes. <laughs> give me the option to just like get virus cores, because getting those is. Not fun. Um, just to, just to what I said as a total non sequitur. Dot Hack Another Birth was a novelization of the first four games, but told from the perspective of the partner character Black Rose rather than from Kite's perspective. Kite right, doesn't really have a personality in the games. Oh, that's interesting. Nope. They even got translated. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's interesting because, like, they they clearly had some designs on these existing. Because I think Black Rose in the games will actually reference the idea that she has other people she's playing with that you don't know, <laughs> and those show up in another birth. It's interesting. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Oh, hey, this does have quickie is referencing RPG in our trivia section. Nice. Because of an April Fool's joke, some poorly informed RPG readers thought that another birth was another version of the games through Black Rose's perspective. It was only after several emails that RPG put a note at the top of the page that it was a joke. The joke being, they're not games, they're books. <laughs> But yeah, um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of ancillary hack media of varying degrees of compliant with the canon. Uh, okay, let's hit some of these questions Budai is asking. I've only played GU and never the original. 
Yeah, uh, I, I think the story of the original is pretty good. It's not as good as GU, but it's good. But playing the games is an absolute chore, even if they weren't like hundreds of dollars to actually purchase at the stage. Uh, and then Budai asks, what is the darkest Persona game? Uh, on an individual basis, it's almost assuredly Innocent Sin. Yeah. That, uh... It's not a happy ending. Uh, even if you put both of them together. Like, three is macabre, but two is probably the darkest. And also it's better than three. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I mean, like, even if we're just talking about, like, tonal and thematics, like... Yeah. Yeah. Three is macabre because it's talking about because like its thematic core is supposed to be death, but emphasis it, you know, on it's supposed it, to be. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't really go as far with like lost and grief and uh, a lot of other things, but two kind of goes into so. Did the world need another port of Tales of Symphonia? Yes, because the last one is trapped on PS3. I think the problem is just that, like, we've gotten a better one. Yeah. Um, like, my my only problem with the port is they didn't include the Wii game like they did the last port. Allegedly, the Switch port also has a bunch of technical issues that'll probably get patched because they seem to just be due to careless porting. Oh, lovely. your personal favorite social link across all Persona games? That's hard. Yeah. There's a lot of ones that I really like. Um, and it would also depend upon, like, what kind of uh, story I was in the mood for, as well as, like, how much I'd like the individual character. They're, like, you know, they're well-written S-links for characters that I don't care that much about, and, like, that gives them kind of an unfair disadvantage. I think uh, if I were to narrow it down to a per game basis, my favorite in three is the tower, which is the the drunk Buddhist monk uh, link that you can pursue uh, at night. In four, huh? There's a lot of good. There's some good ones in four. Uh, yeah, four and five, I start getting into like, I'd have lots of internal debates about what my favorites are. I'll have to think about this for a bit. But yeah, uh, I, was, I was seeing some uh, reviews of Symphonia Remastered that makes it sound like on PS4, it's merely extraneous because it's just, it's basically nothing has really changed. But on Switch, apparently, they, they fucked up the port a bit, and it's got a bunch of weird, like, missing effects and slowdown and occasional crashes. Oh, lovely. Yeah, which, there's, there's no excuse for that. Especially because, like, Namco Bandai has done a lot of Switch ports, oftentimes ones that seem like they would have been way more of a pain than this. And often, many of them are, like, just perfect. Like, uh, the .hack GU collection... It's never had to be patched. Yeah, no, that, that was basically up, just perfect from day one. Yeah, you load it up, <laughs> it's still version 1.00. Yeah, and it never needed a patch either. It's nope. not like there was like, they just released a bad product and it was like, no, that's good. Uh, or like, 
you get other ones where it's like this should have been way harder like Nino Kuni 2 and yeah. that's a good port too I don't I don't know what happened with Tales of Sithania. It's weird. Yeah, it's, it's a weird choice. Uh, has the MMORPG praise died off a little? And if so, what caused this? I mean, it's definitely... You don't see new MMOs launching every year anymore. And I think the answer is that they're really, really fucking expensive. Also, I, also I think, like, any sort of quote-unquote live service game that market is incredibly saturated at this point yeah that's why we're seeing like a lot of non-mmo lives like people moved into trying like well you know people are kind of have have the mmos they play they play uh world of warcraft or they play f14 or they play one of the handful of like reasonably popular free to free to play ones uh slash like non-subscription ones like tesso and then they really don't have room for another one. But we can try these other genres that people theoretically pay in perpetuity for. And so a lot of the zeitgeist to try to get that moved into, like, will be, like, some sort of live service free-to-play bullshit. And then uh, we've sort of seen the bottom... We're seeing the bottom fallout on that in real time as companies realize yeah. that that, one, is super saturated, and two... A failed one is really expensive. Yeah, like a lot of them. Like it, it, a lot of big name ones are shutting down. Like Apex Mobile, which was named Apple's mobile game of the year last year, is shutting down. <laughs> that worked out great. Uh, yeah, I think I think a lot has to do with the fact that like when you because there's there's a few different factors in this. There's the fact that like if a single player game comes out. And sells like shit. You've taken, you, you take a hit. Like it go, it goes away. You lose money. Blah 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 blah. You're done. You have, you've taken all the losses you're going to take on that game. It's gone. It's over. If a, like, if a live service game dot like comes out and gets slaughtered by disinterest. You have you are left with the Hobson's choice of do we kill it, cut our losses, or do we hope that we are the one that we are like the one in a million that like people eventually flock to afterwards and just keep losing money on it month after month, uh, waiting for that time to happen. And the answer is basically, are we going to just accept that we've lost a lot of money now, or are we going to lose a lot of money and then accept that we've lost a lot of money? And it looks bad on the balance sheet when you kill it, because your revenue projections were saying that you were not only that, you know, that all this revenue you had projected that this new game was going to bring in, it didn't bring in any of it. It just, it looks bad. It ends poorly. So you're just seeing a lot of companies sort of scale back on that because it turns out only a handful of those need to really exist in any given genre, and mm -hmm. most of them are saturated. <laughs> and so you settle into that same thing where it's like you don't see a lot of companies making new MOBAs now anymore. No. Not as that many MOBAs, a, not as a... many Battle Royales. Yep, uh, the, the bottom has fallen out on Battle Royales. The general purpose... 
we've taken something and added live service elements to try to sort of be destiny. That's gone away. So what you're left with is eh, we'll find a new gold mine. Yeah. Well, like the weird thing about uh, that one to me is like none of the almost none of the destiny likes ever caught on. Except I don't think any of them War, did if we're being real. Except Warframe. Doesn't that predate Destiny? I think it does, but I don't think it was an RPG at that point. It kind of was. I remember playing it very early in the PS4's lifetime just because it was free to download and I had nothing to play. <laughs> I think it, its RPG elements have become more pronounced over time. Yeah. Uh, let's see, the only... Uh, Firemire says the only exception of failed game got retried a lot of times is Nexon wasting money on Maple Story after the second block. Yeah, that's uh, that's outside of my uh, full understanding, so I, I can't speak to that. Yeah. Uh, but I asked, what do you think the expectation? Think of the expectations of Demon Souls versus how the genre has become. Uh, I don't know that there were any expectations I had for Demon's Souls or where that genre was going other than at the time it was, I don't want to play more of this. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like Demon's Souls, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's become calcified as a genre as much as anything else for good and ill. Uh, it's, it's one of those things. I, I didn't really have strong expectations. I don't think even the game's diehard fans at the time had strong expectations for what it would become. Uh, and the tendency to wrap in little bits of its design philosophy into other genres has been interesting. I had a hard time finding a publisher at the time, if I remember right. Uh, it was a... In Japan, it was Sony published, and they declined to publish it in the West. And that's how it ended up ended up at Atlas, as I recall. So, yeah, it's one of those things. Like, there is absolutely no reason to believe that there was much of an audience for it, given the evidence that existed at the time. Um, it's uh, it thing, things change, time change, times change. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> it's one of those things. Like, you know. I, I'm sure I would assume someone at Sony uh, is kicking themselves over having let that uh, slip through their fingers, but they're not kicking themselves hard, hard enough that they didn't just shutter uh, Japan Studio instead of having them work on a getting partnership to work on a Bloodborne 2. So. Evidently not kicking themselves that hard. Um, Uh, yeah, it's it's been. I feel like there's there's a certain weirdness to uh, the the AAA game industry used to move extremely fast. Uh, okay. Uh, Couple questions just popped in. Why do Soulsborne games always have to look so grimy? How about a colorful and whimsical Soulsborne? It's very hard to sell a game 
that is aesthetically whimsical to people who want games that are extremely hard. And that's what the marketing teams tend to, and executive teams tend to think is the desire. Like, people who want to play hard games don't want to play colorful games. It's like a belief that persists for some reason. <laughs> Neo 2 relatively colorful. It's colorful com- comparatively, but it's still a kind of gross world. Yeah. Like it's it's still very apocalyptic and very well, not apocalyptic per se, but it's you know it's not a it's not a it's not a pleasant place to be, even if it's more colorful. <laughs> uh, what do you feel about the game idea that games were too hard for the Western market back in the day versus modern outlook? I mean. That was never a consistent outlook. Like there was definitely games that toned themselves down for the West, but there were also uh, games that made themselves harder in the hopes that they couldn't be beaten on a rental. Uh, I think that it's fair to say that like there was a period where it was believed that I guess just that Western players and Japanese players had exceedingly different skill sets. And over time, I think people have sort of realized that, broadly speaking, no, you're getting a pretty similar level of uh, player skill and a fairly similar, like, broadly similar level of interest in uh, easy games and difficult games. So it's just one of those things. Like, it was... It was a silly attempt to assume. It was a silly assumption that there was like a strong cultural predilection for hard games or easy games in the West and Japan. Uh, but that does still mean that I get to occasionally confuse people by pointing out how ridiculously the uh, Rocket Knight Adventures rescaled its difficulty levels for the English version. I think I was talking about this on shenanigans. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, because I was I was explaining like don't let a video game's difficulty names bully you because that's how Konami tried to prevent you from finishing Rocket Knight on a fucking rental. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think I think in general at this stage uh, the push pull has moved more towards. Uh, the fear that players will stop playing if the game is too hard uh, versus the fear that players will get bored if it's too easy. So, uh, but, you know, people are terrified of people not uh, not continuing to play the game because every game has to be a forever game now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Mario 2 was probably a good pass in the West at the time. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's... It's an expansion pack. There's a, there's a reason that there's not a great deal of interest. There's a reason that when they brought it to the West, they didn't retroactively retitle anything. They just called it the Lost Levels. It makes more sense that way. Yeah. It's just, you know, it would have been an unimpressive sequel at the time. I will once again say, though, that one of the funniest things, if you've never looked it up, there's some translations around of the Famitsu reviews of Super Mario USA when it came out in Japan uh, on a cartridge. And Mario USA makes a lot of useful tweaks to uh, Doki Doki Panic because it, it does things like 
oh, you don't have to finish the game four times to get an ending. Uh, that sort of thing. But uh, in the Mitsu reviews, they're very funny because they're like, the game is good, but I saw a game called Mario USA and I thought he was going to be like going around New York or whatever, but it's just Doki Doki Panic again. <laughs> We're just very disappointed that it's not Super Mario jumping around the US. What is next for Kiki Kai Kai, man? Or, uh, Who, what? In, I don't. Kiki Kai Kai is Pocky and Rocky. Oh. I don't know that there's really a space for it to go after Reshrined. Uh, like, I'd be fine with playing another Pocky and Rocky. Reshrined is good, but it's one of those things with, like, we might see another reimagining or remake in like five to ten years as happens with that franchise quite a bit but, heck there was even a unofficial ps2 one called heavenly guardian that started as a pocky monkey game and then stopped that one's not good though don't play that but uh heavenly guardian none here if legend of sight uh, planned to be a Pocky and Rocky game and they sort of lost the license at some stage but yeah it's, it's, it's one of those franchises that like has another cult following that will keep coming back but I don't know that there's really a space for it to move from here it's sort of like you know it's like asking about the other things that they just revived like Ninja Warriors or uh Wild Guns Reloaded, like, I like those. I think they're very good uh, updates, and I would be fine with sequels to them, but I don't think there's an appetite to do that. I think people, uh, both making them and consuming them, just sort of want to see these updates. They don't necessarily need sequels. But hey, Kiki Kai Kai. Uh, Um, but, yeah, um, video games, video games, video games. Job, I have started. Uh, what is what is a video game? It's uh, you know what? It's uh, it's one of those things where I'll know it when I see it. I don't like worrying too much about what is definitionally a video game. I think we should answer the question that our dear readers probably want to know the most. What is the best RPG for the Atari 2600? I was hoping you were going to say the Dendi. I don't remember what that is. Although it's the I... Russian Famicom. Oh. Although I'm disturbed that I actually recognize the name. <laughs> I could start listing more obscure consoles. We can see how long it takes until you decide that you've never heard of this. Let's do it. Cougar Boy? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we fit it already. Mega Duck? This, that can't be real. <laughs> that's the same system as the Cougar, the Cougar oh, Boy. That sounds like a fucking Darkwing Duck villain. It was made by a Hong Kong company called Wellback Holdings. 
but yeah, the mega duck yeah. is uh, it's it's beautiful in its way. I I don't know how it happened. Uh, it's a favorite system of mega duck. I see how you are. Uh, God, no, I'm just thinking about game the game systems is weird. <laughs> Uh, how do you feel about the Casio Loopy? What? Stop. Stop. <laughs> you have to be stopped. I had a sticker printer. It came. Surely you're excited for the sticker printer. No, I, I'm really not. <laughs> it was uh, one, of the few, uh, one of the few consoles designed to appeal to a demographic of young girls. I'll give it that. Interesting. Yeah, uh, I could, I could keep going, but I shouldn't. God, I was thinking about, how do you feel about the Zebo? You must have Zebo opinions. Okay, oh there's a massive Firemeyer question. Okay, let's check. We've talked about different mediums requiring different storytelling skills. How about movie and anime adaptations of games that failed because they didn't try to change things up enough? Like, for all the changes Yokotaro advertised being near automata and they will have, I still find it hasn't gone far enough. I would expect, like with anything Yoko Taro, that if it's going to make big changes, it's going to do them in the back half, because that's just how he does things. Uh, which I think is definitely a very take-it-or-leave-it choice in storytelling, but yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Like... I think what he's going to do is make an anime that deletes itself from your memory. I mean, I've already seen animes that do that. Um <laughs> And animes that delete themselves from their own continuity. Uh, oh, fun. I do think that... Uh, how to describe this? Uh, there are very few good video game animes. Uh, and usually the ones that are good are adapting aspects of the lore rather than a direct adaptation of the story. Like, I could call Dot Hack Sign a game anime, or I could call uh, Gungrave a game anime, but they're really just taking parts of the lore and expanding on it, going in different, telling their own story. Uh, you end up having to do a lot of. Game stories have to be, especially RPG stories, are paced very differently because. In a functional sense, uh, you have describe this. If you if you look at like a action game, you're looking at a story sec a story scene, and then an action scene, and then a story scene, and then an action scene. That like the cutscene to and level setup is story scene, action scene, story scene, action scene, in terms of what it's doing for the pacing. And that's not really super sustainable. Uh, for uh, That's not super sustainable for uh, doing a actual... Uh, for, for doing any sort of uh, story in another medium, because... Uh, that there's there's not enough happening there. Uh, with an RPG, you still ha you have all sorts of different things that are designed to break up 
text and give story time to marinate, like dungeons and town exploration and just general gameplay stuff allows story to marinate without actual uh, but are scenes of little narrative consequence and in a medium that doesn't have interactivity you end up having to have you have to replace that with something that fills and like pace out that paces out the uh, way that the plot's supposed to move and that gets really complicated <laughs> like what you replace that with is very dependent upon the individual game and how it's set up so you you end up with like just a lot of there's not a really a one size fits all for how you adapt these stories you end up uh if you're doing a direct adaptation doing some weird you having to do some weird stuff um let's see uh what's your favorite bad overball film i've never actually watched any. uh the dungeon siege one I think my favorite actual thing about the Dungeon Siege one is that it has a sequel, but that sequel is a two worlds movie. Huh? You know what? I don't know. <laughs> it's it's called In the Name of the King Two Two Worlds. That's fucking stupid. I don't know how this uh, happened or why. Uh, but yeah, the, um, the first one's just a stupid fun action movie because it has um, what can I think of that guy's name? The transporter guy. Jason Statham? Yes. He was having a run of it in the mid-ops. Yeah, and I think his character's name is just Farmer or something stupid like that. Someone did not want to think about that script for even yes. another minute. <laughs> Let's see. Um, yeah, it's not terrible. It's very watchable. It's watchable bad. It's the watchable kind of bad. It's perfectly common. <laughs> it's not even that bad. It's just... It's... I mean, it's not. I'm not going to say it's amazing or anything. It's just. It's not the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Oh god! <laughs> what a film. Uh, let's see, what RPG that was never translated at the time would have sold the best? That's. Uh, I'm bad at prognosticating about what would actually sell. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of like. RPGs that weren't translated that I think would have even made their money back. Mm. Uh, let's see. Like, I'm because I'm thinking about like the usual suspects of like, I would have wanted Dragon Quest V, but that would have, they would have lost their shirts on that. Um, like, it would basically have to be something in the post PS1 era, but tons of those got translated. I can't think of ones that like didn't get translated that I think would have actually sold well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Because like you look at Square's like later output on the Super Nintendo and it's like we didn't get Live Alive because it didn't even sell that well in Japan. <laughs> uh, um major on the PS1 that we just missed entirely. Uh, like that's the boom period where untranslated RPGs can theoretically... Okay. Um, 
like again i think about ones that i would have wanted like tengai makio but that would have sold like shit uh -huh. Uh, there's a ton of these, like, like, I would have liked to see some of the Super Robot Wars games happen, but they would have just lost their shirts on them. Uh, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's very hard for me to think of games that I think would have actually sold well. <laughs> And of course, anything else on another platform because, like, uh, untranslated Saturn RPGs, those, those are a dime a dozen. All of them would have sold like shit. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, nothing, nothing immediately coming to mind. Um, but, you know, I would have liked to see some of the weird stuff, like the uh, Saturn version of Legend of Heroes 3. That would have been neat. But it would have sold badly. It would have yeah. sold very badly. <laughs> uh, uh, just close some tabs. Um, let's see. Uh, when it comes to adaptations, budget's a big concern, too. Like, have you seen the animation, the Cold Steel anime currently airing? It turned off a lot of people who weren't fans of the game. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of the, a lot of low budget anime tends to just end up looking like that. But adaptations, I think, get lower budgets because they think that the fans will pay for it, so they don't need to spend as much on it. Is why you see weird stuff like the initial episodes of Dragon Ball Super look like absolute ass because <laughs> I think the assumption was that well, you can spend that money on something someone wasn't going to watch regardless of how it looked. Uh. Yeah. How well did Secret of Mana sell and why was Street Pass on? It sold fine, but I think it was, uh, by by all accounts, internally, I think Wolsey himself said that he thinks that it, that Trials of Mana was passed over for the sake of being able to sell Chrono Trigger, which was a higher priority. And rightly so, probably. Yeah. Wasn't there a partner, uh, wasn't there a Department Heaven, Heaven game that was not mobilized? I think I think there's some ports that weren't localized for the Switch. I don't know if there's an uh, made. Uh, I think there was a follow-up to Yggdra Union. Blaze Union? Yeah. Although I don't know if that's technically in the quote-unquote Department Heaven series. It's, just like not a, it's not a proper episode of Department Heaven. But it is like related to Yggdra Union. It's like a prequel or something. Uh, but I think, yeah, we didn't get Blaze Union, but that was also a 2010 PSP game. That would have, they would have lost their shirts on that. Yeah. <laughs> See also Grand Knight's Kingdom. Oh, yeah, that which I think was cool. God. Didn't like two different companies announce that for English release and then have to drop it? I think so. Or, yeah, Grand Knight's History. I think Grand Knight's Kingdom was like the... Oh yeah, that was kind of a follow-up. Yeah, Grand Kingdom or whatever. Uh, but yeah. It, it, that was announced and cancelled a few times. And it was just like, if they had actually spent the money to get it out here, they would have lost their shirts on it, sadly. Uh, 
Me, I'm honestly not a huge fan of 3 on the Super Nintendo. I like the class upgrade system, though. Yeah, Trials of Mana is one of those things where I feel like uh, it sort of... Like, it, I don't think it's a bad game, but I do think that it developed a lot of reputation on the basis that it was something that people couldn't have ready access to. Yeah. Oh, hey, you showed up, Gaijin. Yeah, um, I was not aware that I was under my school was under a special scheduling today. Yeah. Mm. So I so I finished about an hour earlier than expected. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Let's see, well, we're getting a lot of questions in the chat because both Budai and Fireminer are there today. Oh, yay! See. Anything good? Uh, no, nothing that I think. Uh, we were discussing uh something you might have an idea on. Uh which was games that were not translated that you think might have actually sold if they were translated at the time. Um, I'm sure that you will, would recognize most of the names I would might, I might list. I, I've mostly uh, been like drawing a blank because like whenever I think of them, all I can think is like I would have liked to have seen that, but I don't think it would have actually sold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, for what definition of sold? I mean... As com I mean, compared to its counterparts on the same system at the same time, it might have done about as well. Yeah, like I, I, was... <laughs> I would say, like *Romancing Saga* two and three would have done much would have been much better received by the RP gamer community if they had actually been released in '94 and '95. Yeah, he probably would have found more. They would have developed an uh, easier cult following, though I don't think they would have lit anyone's. Uh, they would have. I don't think they would have gone beyond having a full following. Yeah, but I mean, that's true of a lot of the Super Nintendo library. Oh, definitely. So, I mean, it's, it's all relative here. Um, beyond the Labyrinth. Mm. Oh, goddammit. I repressed that of, one. Not only just one of the first RPGs on the 3DS, but also having really nice graphics mm -hmm. and being a um, being a Trius game. So. Definitely a game with a claim to be possibly the best-looking technically game on that platform. <laughs> when I can honestly say that I have seen PlayStation 3 games with worse-looking <laughs> um, 3D character models, yeah. Uh, but they that's put their heart and soul into that one. They had the one character modeled with motion capture technology, and they put everything they had into that one character, and she looked very good. It's like how all the Ace Attorney games on 3DS look very nice, because it's just like, yeah, we only have to render a courtroom, there's no AI, and we know exactly where the camera will be at all times. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, honestly, the, the Metal Max games for the DS and 3DS probably would have done quite well, too. Just because they if, are... If they came in early enough, yeah, before the... Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, they Flash were quirky, card. they were innovative, they were colorful. Um, if they'd come in when they had actually been released in Japan, like within the year, they probably would have done pretty well. Also, uh, Season of Steel, probably not, because it would have had its immediate predecessor hanging around its neck like the Albatross. But Yeah, I think, I think the there probably could have been, at the very least, a healthy uh, cult following for the Metal Saga games on DS, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, the Xeno sold a reasonable amount, and that was an awful game. That was an awful game that no one seems to particularly care for. Yeah. 
let's see. Um, to hit. Let's see. We're getting a couple more uh, stuff happening in here. Uh, let's see. Are there any games that were notable surprise flops from developers or surprise flops in general? Hmm. It's very hard to think of notable ones. <laughs> Uh, I'll definitely see games like a lot of games underperform in a very uninteresting fashion. Uh, yeah, I'll have to think about this for a minute. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off in the stream, Gaijin. Can you repeat the one question? I was distracted. Oh, someone, someone's just asking, uh, but I was just asking about uh, surprise uh, games that did surprisingly poorly, surprise, surprise flops in terms of sales. Um, a lot of them? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I, it, it feels hard for me to immediately pop out like surprise flops because I feel like I usually see these coming. <laughs> But I'm not sure what's expected to sell well. Yeah, I was like, going to say um, The World Ends With You follow-up. What the hell was it called? I Neo. Know, it was not even slightly surprising. Yeah, I was not surprised. Yeah, like that. that's all Like I could tell by the fact that no one was talking about it except like me and the 12 other people who care about World Ends With You, so... You know, that was, it was clear that like that wasn't going to sell that. It didn't work the first time. Uh, like you run into some stuff that's like it, they're surprised to the companies releasing them obviously but you know these I don't know I feel like these give off kind of a stink at some point uh, like you can usually tell the way that the uh, the way that the wind is blowing about them before they actually come out yeah Many different reasons, including how much of an embargo date there is. Yeah, that that one's usually like if they're embargoed really late, then it probably means that someone knows that the game kind of sucks to actually play. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, because you run into those, but like I'm I'm looking at like a list of uh, of like things that people regard as having been uh major underperformers and it's just like i mean as someone who was interested in beyond good and evil before it came out i didn't actually expect it to sell and i was like <laughs> 13 at the time <laughs> yeah i just i mean at this point it's most games underperform yeah, it's it's a blockbuster business, and we 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 don't see a lot of games anymore just by virtue of the fact that you know the ones that perform as expected are the ones that still get to be alive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess part of it is just that the expectations are often set very high. But um, mm. on the other hand, this is what this is what the indie uh, indie market is for at this point. Yeah, and the low budget in general. Uh, Fireminer says, after Mega Man Sex Advent, it's a surprise that the first gun bolt was such a hit. I mean, I don't think that they sold that 
differently per se, so much as that they were released in a very different fashion where you could just sell Gunvolt to however many people wanted it because it was a digital game rather than having to try to work out how many of those people existed beforehand. (laughs) And also that a self-published game by Indie Creates was not getting the same expectations as a uh, game published by Capcom. I don't know what the actual numbers are on either game, but I think Gunvolt just was allowed to, was in a better circumstance to actually try to prove itself and was allowed more time to become something that worked well for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could count Blaster Master Zero as well. Yeah, but that one, like the fact that there are three Blaster Master Zero games does surprise me because there's been so many attempts to revive Blaster Master that you know, die before they really get anywhere because, as it turns out, most companies that want to revive Blaster Master are surprised by how few Blaster Master fans exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how badly they've been burned so often. So many bad Blaster Master revivals. Mm-hmm. Let's play Blaster Master 2 on the Sega Genesis, or better yet, let's not. Why would you bring that up? Did you play that, Wales? Yes. Why? <laughs> I liked Blaster Master. I read the Is novel. Is that one by Software Creations? It feels like Software Creations. Feels like crap. That's what it feels like. Did you play Blaster Master Boy? Which one is that? That's the Game Boy one. That's basically Bomberman. I don't think so. Did you play Blaster Master Enemy Below? Is that the PS1 one? No, that's Blasting Again. What the hell is... What the hell is the one you just said? <laughs> Blaster Master and Amity Below is the other Game Boy one. Oh god, no, I didn't play any Game Boy ones. I didn't know they existed. There different... are two of them. It's Maybe different time. they can be on the Switch online. I mean, hey, I'd take yeah. that over um, some of the weird choices they've made. For that service. <laughs> are, you, are, you this, are you still upset about Alone in the Dark, The New Nightmare? I'm not upset, I'm just confused. <laughs> Listen, it was either like it was to replace the Mahjong game that we didn't get the launch lineup that they got in Japan. I'd rather have the Mahjong game. <laughs> I would not. Nothing is weirder or dumber than that alone the darkening airport. <laughs> Has the um Where's Mother Three request started yet? Oh, I'm sure they have. I haven't been paying attention to like, them. Either. Did they ever really die down? No, there's yeah, there's a yeah. low roar at all times. Yeah, uh, there's just a small hardcore of super fans who just can't keep they can't stop themselves from asking regularly. The worst yeah. part is they've all already fucking played it. They want to be able to point at people and point to people and say, "Hey, play it." Buy my and book. Buy my book. <laughs> I wonder what happened to that fan game that was calling itself Mother 4 that um, was going to change its name and I don't think ever actually did. Oh. No. Never, never even heard of that one. There's been a number of things that have called themselves Mother 4, but there was one that uh, people were buzzing about like five years ago and like all fan games that people buzz about before it comes out. It never actually does come out, does it? No. Mm. Oh, but the 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 Twitter account is still active. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. Well, as long as that platform is still alive, 
anyway. Yeah, alive-esque, alive-adjacent. Doesn't... Um, yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, see, another three is overrated. Yes, I said it. I haven't finished it, so I can't speak for it. I do know that uh, in Japan, the opinions on it seem to be much more split than they are in the West because, well, you know, it was People not a giant. It. People have actually <laughs> played it, and it wasn't a giant pain in the ass to do so, so there was less. Uh, there's less of a concern about justifying it to yourself, so there's a much more split opinion about it. What was right here? There isn't as much of a sunk cost issue with it? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I liked what I played of it, but it was also one of those things where, like, it has the same structural issue that I have with Dragon Quest Four, where, like, every few hours, for the first few hours, you have to start over as a new main character and do kind of the opening grind of an RPG again. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, that structure has never worked super well for me, so... I already did that with Earthbound, because I rented it a million times. That's bad strategy. That's a bad way to experience that. Yeah. Peaceful Rust Valley is like your tax that is uh, forcibly collected from you before you're allowed to play the fun part of the game. <laughs> Oops, it looks like you've got a mushroom on your head again. Time to walk all the way fucking back to that fucking hospital and get it removed uh, but yeah uh, I, I do want to actually finish Mother 3 someday but you know God only knows when that day will be but hey uh, the GBA emulator on Switch Online is accurate enough that the rhythm battle system would still would actually function on like half the emulators you could play it on back in the day <laughs> yay question mark the it's possible to beat the game without interacting with the rhythm battles but you know it does make the game significantly harder for no real reason so not ideal let's see what was the best and worst attempt to mimic bioware uh worst not sure if that I'd game of thrones game oh PS3 god and Xbox i forgot that happened that was really bad yeah that one's real bad. The the stuff that was good, I wouldn't describe as an imitation. That's just games in the same style, yeah. like Alpha Protocol. If I was yeah, to, to yeah, if I was to describe a game that was in that like three sixty era style of Western RPG that Bioware was most associated with, like Alpha Protocol is my favorite of those. Yeah. Bring that back. Just put it on a put it on new things. Maybe people can rediscover and reappreciate how good it is. There's a game where like you make all sorts of choices and you aren't even really sure which ones were the bad ones. <laughs> because like so many of them do not actually uh, bear fruit until very late in the game and in very strange ways. Also has Hello. a great I'm performance back. of Noel North as a bad guy. Get those characters. Neutral out. guy. Neutral guy. Sorry, neutral guy. That's right. He's not. What are we talking about? Because my computer just crashed. And I oh no. Oh, uh, we, we were talking about uh, Bioware style RPGs of the 360 era, and I was talking, rhapsodizing about how good Alpha Protocol was. The spy game. Yeah. Yeah. 
That was, uh, there's some fun. Uh, I still think one of my favorite things about that game is that it, it used the fact that like usually characters in uh, RPGs with a lot of dialogue options end up being at least mildly sociopathic if the player is trying to metagame in any fashion. Because <laughs> you're... Your character is inevitably the player attempts to have their character speak in a way that will be pleasing to whoever they're talking to, because you're just trying to get what you want out of them. And Alpha Protocol made it a plot point that your character was selected for this mission because they are very manipul manipulative and very good at manipulating people. So, if you are swapping between uh, personality types, between uh, dependent upon who you're talking to you are playing perfectly in character for what they expected out of you they expected you to be a weird like manipulative asshole to get exactly what you want out of people yeah it's real fun you do, like how to okay. beat metagaming you do meta development yeah there's some really fun stuff in there as well i think one of my favorite missions in that is one that's just this long conversation where you're having like it's a joke basically but there's this long conversation that you're having with someone at a place where it seems like oh they must be hiding some sort of like underground dealings here and this guy is just like it's a gelato shop and he's like doing all this business about oh i'm gonna get you this nice gelato and he's like bending down at it like it looks like he's grabbing for a gun or whatever and the game is just repeatedly giving you the prompt to pull out a gun and threaten to shoot him just over and over. And uh -huh. the, the punchline is, of course, that if you just keep sitting there, eventually he does get you a nice gelato. <laughs> he has nothing. He has nothing. He's not doing anything. <laughs> He's just like, hey, here, here's a gelato. It's very good. But the game was full of good touches like that. There's a... I think one of my favorite things that the game did is that there is a villain that you don't get to fight unless you specifically and deliberately piss him off every time you talk to him as much <laughs> as humanly possible like he has to hate you with every fiber of his being because the only way you'll ever get to fight him is if he ignores what makes sense because he desperately wants to kill you And you really have to be, and that was that was another thing that like the game also created reward structures that rewarded you for people disliking you as often as liking you. <laughs> That's something we need more of in some of these games. Yeah, yeah, there needs to be more of a push for like, okay, if we're going to, if we're going to have people metagaming to try to get everyone to like them, create a reward structure that makes it so you don't necessarily want everyone to like you. Uh, let's see. Uh, see. What's the weirdest RPG ever made? We could be on that for years. Fine, weird. <laughs> we're we're going to end up talking about Linda Cube again, aren't we? Let's talk about Mugen Souls. It, the weirdness really averages out. It's a lot of yeah, weird RPGs. Yeah. I mean, Let's all play Tale of the Sun. I, I've, I've, played, I've played an RPG that simulates mountain climbing. I've played an RPG that is basically a massive math study practice program. 
Um, I respect that. With platforming. Um, <laughs> oh, that was an awful game. Um, I have... Ooh, I've played random... Red Eye brings up Moon. Random metaphors uh, for everything you could possibly imagine. Red Eye brings up Moon, says, what about Moon? I have yet to play that. It's not really an RPG. Moon is a deconstruction of an RPG. It's a game about RPGs, but it is not itself an RPG. <laughs> However, since it is very obviously taking a piss out of Dragon Quest half the time, we cover it. So <laughs> Yeah, it gets covered because it makes sense too, but it is very definitely yeah. not an RPG. <laughs> it's the same reason we cover Zelda. A completely different reason why we cover Zelda, okay. but yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Similar. Like yeah, I mean, it's a very different style of game. Mm -hmm. uh, anyone remember Magatama on the Xbox that really criticized for parody of the Japanese royal family? I've never even heard of this game. And I don't, I would imagine there's very few Japanese people that could tell you much about it because it's an original Xbox game released only in Japan. Yeah, that's a really small, very small group of people who might know about it. Yeah. Uh, Xbox. Microsoft Game Studios. 11.20.03. It was over by then for the system in Japan. This game set in medieval Japan. You take control of Shinato, a twin-bladed knight who's out to hack and slash his way through hordes of demons to prevent an all-out war between the Yamato and Shogun Bakafu forces. Whoever wrote this description doesn't know how to, how to spell Bakufu, but okay. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> For the matter of calling a person a knight. Yeah, there's, there's some questions there. But yeah, one of those things where, like, yeah, uh, you've, you've plumbed the depths of anything that we know about this because, man, the that is a tiny slice of people. Yeah. I what do you want? Page. Yeah. Uh, like my my knowledge of Japan on the Xbox games uh, tends to end at shit like nude. God, what did that stand for? It has a really dumb acronym. And I'm trying to remember what it stands for. But Nugacell. No, no. Uh, yes, natural ultimate digital experiment. Nude. <sighs> uh, or Shin Megami Tensei 9. Like, those are the Japan only Xbox games that I'm aware of. Yeah. Uh, okay. Budai's uh, throwing one right down center plate for wheels. Uh, what do you want from Tears of the Kingdom? A good Zelda game? <laughs> I, 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 yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say. I don't. He does saying that he doesn't want a sequel to Breath of the Wild, just wants something new. What do you expect? Uh, I expect it to be different from Breath of the Wild. I'm really hoping that there's something to like these vehicles. They look really strange. Yeah. Okay. Oh, going back to Magatama for a moment. It does have a Japanese wiki page. Yeah. It gives very little information on it. Unsurprising. Aside from, aside from a basic cast list with voice acting, um, mm -hmm. and the fact that um, 
the main programmer worked on Final Fantasy seven and nine. Well, that explains why Microsoft was giving him money. <laughs> yep. However, um, let's see. I okay. I'm not sure what that first link is, but the second link under outside links at the bottom of the Wikipedia page mm-hmm. is a specific is specifically a link to um, basically taboos and laws against portraying the imperial family in an unflattering way. <laughs> okay, so maybe there's some points to that. Yeah, the Kiku Tabu wa Nihon no Tenno parody and. Ingitator to get forbidden. <laughs> yeah. Okay, maybe this pissed someone off. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I'll have to see if there's this any English resources about this. Well, there's a there is an English page on the chrysanthemum taboo. So, hmm. Social taboo against discussion or criticism of the emperor of Japan and his family, especially Emperor Showa. Also extends to a discussion of the emperor's declining health. Interesting. Not as much as enforced these days, just because um, the the Heisei emperor was um, much so Akihito was a lot more open about discussing things about himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Over anything that's negative, still falls under here. It is technically, like, it's in violation of some kind of taboo, even if it's not something that people are actually going to get up in arms about. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Less majesty. Fireminer offers for Tears of the Kingdom just remake Minish Cap. We'll take that too. That would be a, a choice. It is by the same director as Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild. You could do it. No one could stop you. I'm remembering uh, one of my favorite things at the start of Minish Cap, the first yeah. boss. Oh, yeah. Is the first boss is literally just one of the little electric blobby things that you yeah, find the one of course, except when you're like an inch tall, that thing's a monster. Yeah. That was cute. Game's really yeah. good. What is an art design that doesn't sit right with you or you're not a fan of? Uh, Ed McMillan's. <laughs> yeah, I really like what he does with gameplay. I do not care for <laughs> what any of his games those... actually look like. For those listening who don't know that, know who that is, uh, Binding of Isaac. Yeah. Oh. Okay, I can I can understand that. <laughs> yeah. It's, everything looks like. It's, not, it's not like uh, it's. Yeah. The artist known for his flash game visual style. Yeah. Um, I'm not as I mean I'm resigned to the fact that the flash game style is to stay just because it's easier to, or just it fits better with the the graphical requirements nowadays but still in there yeah but also also just in general like the content is also very puerile and yeah that was kind of the free space on the board uh gaijin do you remember the japanese word for self-restraint i remember that word being brought up by foreign reporters in japan when tragedies happen like the earthquake and no newspaper criticizing anyone self-restraint 
Yeah, that's what Fire Miner was asking. Japanese work for self restraint. Ishikut? Well, if uh, Fire Miner will have to respond if that's the word he was thinking of. So. I'm, I have no idea what he might be talking about. So. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. Um, but yeah, let's, yeah, I'm trying to think of other like art styles that uh, don't sit right with me. Like, I have ones that like I, you know, I don't think much of. Uh, yeah. I think in general, the Borderlands games are pretty ugly. Uh, that's again kind of a free space. Uh, and. I mean... Quite, I mean, another free space is just anything early 3D on the or early polygonal 3D on the PS on PlayStation. You say that, but I'm actually a huge fan of how weird, like, not for what they're trying to do, but what they end up being, because they always end up being weirdly surrealistic and dreamlike. And that's something I think that early 3D is actually very good at, but people at the time were not typically interested in making outside of like LSD Dream Emulator. (laughs) Yeah, it's. I'm thinking, I guess, more of the stuff where they were obviously shooting for the moon, and 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 missing, missing by galaxies. <laughs> and whereas other things like, uh, I mean, there are several 3D animation styles on the PlayStation that I do really like, just because it's obvious the graphical um, directors were aware of the limitations and were just having fun seeing what they could do with it. Hmm. See also moon. moon did a lot of stuff like that. I really like the look of uh, Brave Fencer Musashi. It's a very pleasant game. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of other... Like, in general, like... Uh, attempting strict representationalist uh, realism is fine. Like, I'm not going to stop someone from doing that. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you... I, I don't dislike it, but you saw, you have to work harder to sell me on some other aspect of the art direction. Yeah. Also, I guess part of it is just, like, especially in the first few years of the PlayStation, a lot of this was being done, um, sp- like, specifically ignoring previous sprite work techniques. Yeah. Like, actively in- discouraging um, studios from using sprite work styles that had worked very well and would also continue to work very well on the PlayStation whenever they tried it. Hmm. Uh, I asks, is Breath of the Wild the best Zelda? I don't know. I, it's, I categorize it differently because it's a very different game than the other ones. I mean, not every Zelda is the same as every other Zelda literally in terms of gameplay, and they usually do whatever they do very well. Yeah, but there's, the there's ones that are well. much... There, there's, yeah, but I would say that there's ones that are much more similar to each other than Breath of the Wild is to any of the others. True. I feel like true. it's, yeah, it's like, it's not even comparing apples to oranges at that point, it's comparing apples to a cage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's one of the best ones in terms of just, like, this is a game of raw quality, but most of them are games of raw quality, so that's very hard to Yeah, <laughs> yeah and a lot of that's going to come down to preference. I mean, and then definitely. Joe, and then Joe trolled you by saying that Zelda one, Zelda two was the best one, followed by Ocarina and then Majora. Just gonna ignore this. Good how's how's uh, uh, Metal Gear Survive going, Joe? 
You people deserve <laughs> each other. Um, <laughs> We're all terrible people. The fire miner elaborating on the previous question. I think it's more of a concept, not of like the good wife phrase they used during the years leading to World War II. The idea of a self-restraint I mentioned. It has to do with an attitude of wait for the morning to pass. But it, yeah, I'm like not. Jishu. Oh, Jishu. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it sounds a lot like that. I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, how are you and Joe gonna continue escalating this fight, Wales? Uh, we've already we're doing we're doing this guy related things. We're gonna punish punish ourselves at some point, and we're, he's gonna stream pretty one, and I'm gonna stream pretty two. Be fun. I thought one of you would be streaming this guy infinite by this point. Uh, I will probably do that at some point. I think I sold my copy though, so I'm gonna have to. Re that's an extremely strange. I don't know. Like it's weird to me that like that seems to be just entirely forgotten by time, even more yeah. than pretty games. I think it's also oh, forgotten gosh. by fans because I think as far as like the games go, it's on the cheaper side. What uh, game on the Switch are you most impressed by on a technical level? The... That's a tough one. There's some really impressive ones. Yeah. I'd say Xenoblade Chronicles 3. For it's a really good one. That and Monster Hunter Rise. Hmm. Uh, any notable technical marvels in gaming history you can think of? Uh... Go look up footage of some of the weird things that they ported hard drive into that absolutely should not have had ports of hard drive in on them. <laughs> uh, there's an NES port that either uh, the got prototyped and it's like someone attempted a polygonal racer on the NES and it doesn't it works about as well as that sounds, but the fact that they did it at all is impressive in its way. Uh, There's a bunch of like just scrolling backgrounds and just all these attempts to make fake polygons work on the NES, which is kind of fascinating. But uh, let's see the technical marvels. And, uh, let's see, Fireminer is asking if you've seen any references to Tokimeki Memorial ads in Japanese game stores lately. I can't imagine why. I don't know of any Tokimeki revivals happening. The guy says Monster Hunter World was a game art wise that sort of didn't work for him. He found Rise much more appealing. Uh, that uh, you hit it right on the head for me too, Budai. Like, and I can never even quite put my finger on it either. It just, just never felt great. And then immediately playing Rise, it's like, yeah, this is this is what was missing. I don't want to say it's the more cartoony style. There's just more style in general. It's more stylized. Yes. Stylized can be a more broad term than cartoony. Yeah. Like, the world is just too generic, almost. It sort I mean, of looks like the world you would design for Monster Hunter. You want yeah. to sell to people that think don't want to play Monster Hunter. <laughs> and I mean, it works. So good on them. Glad that they, that was not a permanent choice. Kind of world. 
Uh, very much, very much like if you're trying to sell it to someone that you think will only play Western fantasy games, which if you're making one for PS4 and Xbox One and PC, you kind of have to. Uh, Welcome, Joe says he's quite impressed by Metroid Prime Remastered. Don't blame him on that one. I'm beyond impressed. I need a better word than impressed. <laughs> Awestruck. Yeah, there you go. Gobsmacked. Everlasting gobsmacker. Um, yeah, just just one of those. Uh, they they really put their put the the whole nine yards for, into. They did, and what's, what's crazy to me is that's a game. It's one of the very few older games I think you could make very little changes to and re-release, and people would still be impressed just because it has such a good, strong atmosphere in our direction. Yeah, but they went above and beyond anyway. They did, and it's all for the better. It does have me wondering if maybe the question of most impressive Switch game should maybe be uh, reserved until we see what Metroid Prime 4 looks like. Yeah. Oh, speaking of really impressive Switch games, I'd like to bring up Metroid Dread. Which, Very nice looking game. Yeah, for a 2D game, quote-unquote, is has an incredible look and feel to it in animations and just everything. Extremely strong technical background yeah. and very strong art direction. Oh yeah, there's a there's a thing that I can think of that where the art style never really did anything for me. Castlevania Lords of Shadow. Speaking of Mercury Steam. Oh yeah, yeah, but strong technical adept, uh, strong technical aptitude, uh, actual art direction is very. Uh... Yeah, it's <laughs> one of the few people who actually likes those games. I totally agree. It's not yeah. art style; it's just whatever. Has huge misconception. Uh, but I was saying I had huge misconception. Oh. Uh, oh, okay, that's what it was. Fireminer's saying that there's a new title in the Otome uh, Tokimeki Memorial games where the, with the lady protagonist and the male love interest. Uh, I think they called those Tokimeki Memorial Girls side games in the back, back in the day. I'm not sure what they're called now. But that, that version of the series lasted way longer than the one aimed at dudes. The Tokimeki Memorial uh, 3 kind of killed that franchise stone dead. As far as the one thing to do, uh, see, but but I said I had a huge misconception of what Metal Gear Solid, the Metal Gear Solid series was before I played it. Have you ever fooled yourself on what a game was before playing it? Oh yeah, do tell, Leos, do tell. Oh god, now I got to think of a specific example. Um, <laughs> uh, I know this happened. Recently, fuck. Oh, I th the original Fire Emblems. I always had this conception, being a big Shining Force fan, that oh, this is like Nintendo's version of that, and it really isn't. It's clear that like Fire Emblem is maybe like an inspirational ground point for Shining Force, but Shining Force adds in a lot more like Dragon Questy and more traditional yeah, RPG elements exactly. that the original Fire Emblem just does not have. And that was kind of one of the major things I liked about Shining Force. So it kind of prevented me from getting really getting into the Fire Emblem series until um, Awakening. Started adding in more of those other elements. Yes. Which, well, doesn't necessarily 
quite have those elements, but it has enough that it's you know, it's more than just a more straightforward yeah. tactical RPG. Speaking of tactical RPGs, and this was easier to do back before you could like look up what a game looked like before it actually came out or before you'd actually played it, so you'd have at least some idea. But when I was just reading about what Final Fantasy Tactics with no screenshots, I had many questions about what kind of game it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you did. Uh, it was good, but it was not what I expected because my exposure to Final Fantasy at that point was seven in Mystic Quest. Yeah, uh, that would in no way prepare you for tactics. Not even slightly. Budai uh, says, Shining Force is so simplistic, but so good. wonder why. Mm. I think the people tend to overcomplicate how you need to put together a strategy game. Also, no other strategy game has yogurt in it. Sure. Why would you not just build an entire party of yogurts? Have yogurt That's drop sure. the yogurt ring and build more yogurts. Remember yogurt? You remember yogurt wheels? Yes. <laughs> Yogurt's great. Fire <laughs> yeah. saying a lot of Otome fans now are asking when will Koei release its next Neo Angelique? What about other Otome franchises? There's the one that has the four beasts of Earth, South, uh, North, South, East, and West. Uh, the Yako, Shizaku. Uh, Genbu, and why am I remembering, not remembering the last one? I assume that's what, the, what that's. Byako, Byako, Suzaku, Genbu. Seiryu. Uh, oh, Seiryu, that's the last one. Yeah, but yeah I, I assume that's what that's what he's referring to when he's talking about the beasts of the cardinal directions. Yep, that's the only thing that I could refer to. <laughs> Across like five different countries. Yeah, they all they have slightly different uh, names spelled the same yeah. way. <laughs> from from what I remember reading, the actual origins of the four sacred beasts of the of the cardinal directions is actually in what's now North Korea. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, the old um, Chosun Kingdom was apparently where they they originated as an idea, and they just got That's very cool. popular. Hmm. They just found their way everywhere else. But yeah. Uh... I definitely know some people who are plugged into Otome games, but obviously not personally uh, super well-versed in it. What is the appeal of Genship, Genshin Impact to become as huge as it is? Uh, people like art and wandering around open worlds? I don't know. I have not played it. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm allergic to Genshin. There, yeah. It's got it's a decent RPG and it's got the gotcha hooks. So it's like, I can play this fun 3d vaguely breath of the wildish RPG and get these cool characters that I like. Yeah. It's, it's not a complicated uh, thing, but yeah. it's not, especially in that free to play gotcha space. There's not a lot else that's like it. So I mean, I can understand it even if I'm just super allergic to gotcha. Well, that, yes. that, bring, that brings me to a question. Yes, Do collectible card games count as gotcha? Yes. Okay. Yes. 
Okay. That's, that's just one of the basic applications of it. Just wondering if people considered it that way because I've never, never really see people calling specifically collectible card games that. But it's like, yeah, yeah well, I'm allergic to them for the same reason. I have played games with gotcha elements, like in single player, like on the DS. Actually, called the gotcha boxes, like booster packs, yeah. things like that. I sent you one of these games. You did? <laughs> yeah. Um, what was it? Oh, uh, oh um, Blazer Drive. Yeah, that's the one. Oh, yeah. That's not the one that stickers? Yep. That's that. Magical stickers, and you do get them in booster packs. Of course. Uh, but I ask if India ever moves further than mobile games, I assume that they, he means in terms of budget. Are they a huge untapped gaming development center? Uh, depends upon what you mean by untapped. There's a lot of stuff that gets outsourced there already. Uh, up to and including Ubisoft trying to uh, outsource the Sands of Time remake to a studio, an Ubisoft studio that I believe was in India. Uh, for like growing dissatisfied with the work. It's one of those things like they, they wanted to pawn that off real cheap. Uh, so they sent it somewhere that they thought they could get it made cheaper. It sucks. Um, but yeah. Let's see what I was going to say about it. But yeah. I think that there's definitely, you know, as as people start, you know, actually entrusting people there with more budgets, you'll see that they there's definitely the talent there, and it's a huge place with a lot of you know very talented people, as and as anywhere would. So it's it's I think that it's a it's just a question of what ends up cracking that market. Uh, Smoking Joe says Hearthstone has gotcha. And... Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think he's, he's trying unsuccessfully to piss you off. Yeah, uh, yeah we just we literally just established that. Let's see. And Fireminer says the Tomates are big again, considering all the reincarnation into a villainous anime and manga lately. I mean, I think it's more, uh, it's as much that uh, it was always like a reliable genre that people have realized is underserved in terms of it has a lot of growth potential that has not actually been reached. Uh, yeah, as it turns out, you can you can sell fairly, uh, you can sell horny and reductionist power fantasies to ladies as well as men. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's just one of those things where it's like, yep, it always just takes people a while to realize, wait, you can absolutely sell this. Uh, how did the Neo Geo exist? It made perfect sense if you thought of it as a very cheap arcade system that you also sold to extremely rich uh, home system users. Uh, Budai asked, how did the Neo Geo exist? Oh, that is a good question. Yeah, and my response was, uh, it turns out that if you uh, treat it as a very cheap arcade platform that you happen to sell to a handful of extremely rich home users, it, the economics balance out very well. <laughs> a, uh, an arcade owner uh, at the time would have been very swayed 
by the notion of it only cost me like $500 to replace a game. Hell yes. <laughs> this cabinet's underperforming because nobody wants to play Cyberlink. It's fine, I can replace it with Metal, with metal Slug, and suddenly it, that arcade cabinet is making money again, and I don't have to spend thousands of dollars replacing the entire cabinet. Very simple, very easy to deal with. You basically, like the MBS cartridges are not the same as the home cartridges in terms of their actual form factor, but they are not far afield from being as simple as swap out the marquee or swap out a cartridge. Suddenly you can play, uh, a, you can get that lowering uh, cabinet to, to be making money again. Okay, I want to hit a couple of these questions in the list before we finish uh, to make sure that we've got at least some. Uh, are there any developers you can think of who are not good at a specific genre but keep making games in that genre? <laughs> Um, I feel like this requires a compile heart reference, but it's, it's kind of mean. It's a little no, mm, no, it's fine. And they've been getting better steadily for the last decade and a half, at least. Yeah, which no. means that they're approaching passable. <laughs> uh, they they've gotten up to the m largely mediocre, yeah. and occasionally good. It's it's very weird that we got three record of Everest war games. I feel like someone should have stopped them. <laughs> I mean, if there's one thing that Compile Heart has always proven itself very good at is, is estimating exactly how many units it needs to sell to break even. Yeah, I respect their accountants. They're very good. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, what's the first video game title you can think of that contained profanity? And the oldest example I know is a Pac-Man clone called Oh Shit. If you've never seen uh Oh Shit... Please go look up. Oh shit! Um, oh shit! It's a, it's a, I mean, define. I mean, profanity in which language? Uh, if you if you know another language, go ahead. Okay, you know, I'm just gonna have to. I mean, aside from the fact that there's an entire generalization called kusoge in Japanese. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But we're talking about a game that was marketed under a title that relied that was literally profanity. <laughs> For for those unaware, Oh Shit was a 1985 uh, PC game for MSX and I think a few other uh, a few other PC platforms at the time. Uh, if you've there never seen it, it's just Pac-Man, and every time you die, it just screams in a digitized voice, "Oh shit!" <laughs> Very funny. I want to play this. I'm gonna send you a video of it. This might get to you guys. Uh, oh shit! This isn't something that really happens a lot, though. Yeah, it's it's very rare for this to happen. When I think about this, I end up thinking of the. Uh, it's mostly gonna be joke games and. Yeah, like stuff that stuff that doesn't get commercial releases very often. Candy. But yeah, uh, I think when I think of this, I think of the PS2 game. Like this is nowhere near the oldest, but it's like it's emblematic of the approach to this. 
there's a PS2 game that was announced as Run Like Hell. And, you know, that's, that's an extremely mild profanity. But uh, the publisher, before it came out, got very concerned about actually releasing it under that title. And for about three months, it was uh, it was previewed to game magazines and just called RLH, and they wouldn't say what RLH stood for. And apparently enough people told them that was stupid, that the final game was rechristened again to RLH colon from like hell. So they at least had a part of the box that did not immediately emphasize the word hell. Yeah, I can't think of many games in general that have profanity in the title, so shit is probably the earliest one I can think of as well. Yeah. Uh, oh, and Firemonger, in response to the Compile Heart bit, says that the dungeon design, Compile Heart dungeon design in Neptunia still isn't good. Yeah, that's fair. But they don't really have to be, they're just basic ass dungeons. Yeah. yeah. A lot of game dungeons are uh, could, char could charitably be called functional. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see, Breath of Fire 2 got a few cuss words in it, but it was also the worst translated game. That's yeah. awesome. uh, no, no, I'm not going to say it. No, not, I'm not going to do that shtick anymore. It's dead. Thank you. Uh, see, Seven was the first game to come to mind that had cuss words in English that Budai can think of. I can think of some earlier ones. There's definitely um, some. I'm What's just that? thinking of some of the fan translate, the first actual finished fan translation of Final Fantasy V. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Had, had at least one. It was in a good place, uh, but it was definitely chosen for, for yeah, value. actor in English because it did not match the I mean, obviously, Japanese cuss words don't match one-to-one -one with English very often, and especially not for intensity. Hmm. Just because English is extremely hung up on its own cuss words sometimes. Yeah. Also, if you're gonna if you're cursing someone out in Japanese, your entire sentence structure has shifted in order to bring that off. It's not an individual word you're throwing in. But most <laughs> of the most of the actual stronger cuss words in Japanese are verbs. Hmm. And they're verbs that have been conjugated in specific ways and are spoken with a very specific tone. Yeah, like your entire sentence had to shift in order to bring that off. It wasn't just the word you said. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, just the word for shit, kuso. You can find that in children's games. Yeah. Mega Man Battle Network had that word show up a couple times, I remember. Hmm. So, I, I remember one of the few times I got a, I got a post- uh, deleted on GameFAQs is when I provided a slightly bleeped out translation of what one of the kids said to you in a town in Romancing Saga. <laughs> and one of these little beggar kids, if you tell him point blank, no, I'm not giving you money, he says, eat shit and die. <laughs> I love Japanese. Before. Rough, of rough, rough translation, but yes. <laughs> see. Uh... Yeah. One, uh, but I asked one last question. Uh, what was the first time you ran across a game you realized was poorly translated? Uh, realized it was poorly translated. Um, well, my go-to is always going to be Robotrap. 
just for the mm -hmm. fact that it had one NPC with a name that was romanized four different ways. Some signs, dialogue, and a few other things. Um, but, okay. Sirius. Okay, okay. The, an example that it's not that game. Um, probably when... Actually, probably Pokemon Silver. Hmm. Just because some of the attack names they chose a specific translation for one of the verbs and it did not match what actually it was supposed to be because like nobody had informed the translators of nuances or something. Um, it's possible the basic... that they just saw the name without any sort of context. Just what yeah, that's what I mean. That, uh, the ghost type move Odorokasu in Japanese astonish in English. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I see how they got there. Rikasa has like seven or eight different translations, and the one they really wanted was startle or scare. <laughs> but it got translated as astonish. And so it is astonished now in every game in the franchise. <laughs> yep. That's Legacy. The wrong, that is like objectively the wrong translation, especially with the current animations for the attack. Yep, but Legacy is hard to get, detach yourself from. Yep. Let's see. I'm trying to think of... At least Astonish and Startle are syn can be synonyms to each other. I mean, they are... You're going to get some people asking you why English. it shows I mean, that. And they translate to the same word in Japanese, but the nuance between them is completely different. I think, I mean, uh... It's really hard to be astonished in a negative way. True. So, <laughs> um, for me, it, it, I, I gotta go with, as Budai said, uh, Breath of Fire 2. However, I think personally the worst badly translated game has got to be Arno Ciel. Oh, really? I never not actually played that one in English. Um, how bad was it? Or sorry, not Arno Ciel. That one wasn't translated. Arno Search. Okay, the same same thing. Uh, how bad was that in English? Um, there is a character who, in official text in the game, her name gets spelled four different ways. Yeah, I remember Rock of Tactics too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that's something that comes up just whenever they don't provide a, like a bible of name spellings for the translators. Yeah, that's one of those. Here's what's worse: is they spelled it three different ways in the same paragraph. That's yeah, bad. I remember Final Fantasy Tactics. <laughs> yeah, and that was in the uh, in one of those like dictionary things that the game has of characters and whatnot. Oh, those are not no. the um, editing touch they need. No, 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 yeah, not the PS2 um, Artanelco. Arno Surge uh, was like the Artanelco 2 was not greatly translated. Arno Surge is the sort of prequel side story to Artanelco that was for PS3. Maybe it was PS4. No, PS3. PS3, PS3 and Vita. It was PS3. Thank you. And, um, yeah, no, it, it, it is really badly translated. It's so badly translated that for two-thirds of the game, you're just confused as to what's going on because they reference events that they don't explain that they're referencing, even though they're events you've seen in the game. 
I'm not sure. I'd be curious how much that's a fault of the original writing and how much that's the translation, but I take your word. I think it's a lot of it's a translation. Now, unfortunately, some of it is because of the writing, because it was referencing Arno Ciel for some of it. Oh, hmm. the game that which, we didn't get in English. Which we didn't get mm -hmm. in English, yeah. Okay, to hit some more of these questions that have just cropped up. Uh, let's see. Kudai says, I love me some FF7, but that game was oddly translated for a game on its level of importance. Uh, Sony was really, really bad at hiring translation services until like, the PS2 era. Hmm. Like, their games are badly translated all through the PS1. Wild Arms 2's translation sucks, too. Um, I remember playing Wild Arms 2 for a friend in college because, for some reason, I could understand the story and explain it to him better than he could understand it by playing. I think I even realized how badly translated it was at the time because I was literally just rewriting it in my head as I went along. <laughs> Need that layer of interpretation. Uh, as for my answer to the initial question, I think the first game that I played where I was like, this, maybe this just doesn't make any sense, was actually probably FF5 on PS1. Oh, that's just yeah. a bad translation. Oh, that, that translation's phenomenally bad. That's like, yeah. Um, fan translation, go with that all the way, because, oh man, that one. Yeah, that one's not The great. one where they did There's... not even know how to spell a lot of the monster names. You love Y-Burns. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, for a series that has most of its bestiary roots in the old Dungeons and Dragons monster manual, you really should like hear where the source material is. Every story some of those monsters were already spelled correctly in other games in the franchise. Some of them mm. are natural nouns in the English language to begin with. I mean, yeah, how are you it's... a fan of fantasy anything if you don't understand what a what a wyvern is? Turn in your nerd card. However you, however you want to pronounce it. It's going to be a 10-year-long debate about whether it's Wyvern or Wyvern. There will be no escape. Uh, I mean, I could give it, give you the French origin word, too, but it's... Uh, give in. Like a, uh, the accessory <laughs> as brooch. Oh, God. Brooch. Oh, yeah. Speaking of FF Tactics, remember when every instance of the word brass got turned into bracelet? Uh, that's because uh, Buresu is... Yeah, no, I get it, but it's also really bad. <laughs> yeah. And, and confusing to, to however old I was at the time. You love stone bracelets. Yeah. Uh, let's see. For uh, the difference one, the, uh, the character whose surname was Von Barati. <laughs> turned into Vambrace. Because they didn't realize what a Vambrace was in the, trans <laughs> the translation group. Yeah. A wyvern and a dragon is that a dragon is fully formed and has uh, fully formed front legs, whereas wyverns usually have their front legs as part of their wings. The snake here. Do you know what the real difference is between the two? Oh, that's one of the real, differences. The real difference is that when Gygax and company were making up the monster manual for Dungeons and Dragons, they decided to artificially separate different dragons' uh, myths around the world into actual different groups. Um, so dragon is big, scaly, and dangerous. That's the main definition. <laughs> I don't know. I've died a lot to wyverns in, in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Po no, poison I mean, that's, poison that's has killed me many times. That's the thing. I mean, even the thing with the poison is not necessarily standard in any of the mythology. Um, 
any game that makes a difference between the two is probably at least partly based on D&D, like, up to three or four generations back. That's how much influence that game had on just fantasy. Mm. And the fact that the fans are willing to argue over def- points of definition like this when definitions did not necessarily exist before 1977. Ah, uh, Colorado Bike Shed. Um, yeah. It's a way of padding your beast, your bestiary. Uh, I mean, it's... I mean, it is. You want to use... Well, well, no, you want to use is, these uh, different dragon okay. ideas that different cultures have, but they need different names if you're going to put them in the list. <laughs> and the thing is, a lot of the things that are called dragons around the world are called dragons mainly because English chose that translation. You be dragons. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, like, the, the, the Hawaiian dragons of myth, mm-hmm. those things are just, like, cultural memories of crocodiles. Originally, <laughs> crocodiles and snakes, because they don't have those in Hawaii. Go figure. Um, but they sure heard about them once. <laughs> yeah, but they're they're big, scaly monsters that live in water, so they're dragons. Mm-hmm. Let's see, Fireminer says, "Remember the time they started a war on Wikipedia around the correct spelling of Eric's name?" I remember that because people are still having that argument based on whether their memories of the game in 1997 take precedent or the 20 years of intervening games all declaring it to be the other one. Another example of you really need to send your translation team a list of the names as you would like them to be written. Pretty much. Uh, let's see. Fireminer says the Burmese dragon slash Naga are based on crocodiles too. Yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, um, I, the Western dragon is basically an amalgamation of lions, crocodiles, snakes, and eagles. One wonders how we ended up with things like manticores. And we're going to hit one more before I declare us done. Uh, how did Shin Megami Tensei succeed with using debuffs like Poison and others where many games can't figure it out? Uh, Shin Megami Tensei decided that they should matter and designed its and balanced their battle system around that. Most other games, yeah, most games just don't know what to do with them. They're they're there for legacy purposes because they were those kinds of debuffs exist a lot in tabletop RPGs where they're generally very useful. Yep. But, it's on both uh, sides. Yep, and in general, it's more acceptable for like an encounter to just sort of end with a random character dying. Uh, in <laughs> In console RPGs, quick people quickly decided that they didn't like that. They generally would prefer it if their characters did not randomly give out on them in the middle of a dungeon crawl because a debuff completely uh, paralyzed them in some fashion. So it, over time, they were made less useful for both enemies and players because, you know. But they're still there for legacy purposes. And occasionally games do actually like to use them. Yeah, some games like to use them. Uh, Fireminer points out debuffs and trails can be pretty important in the beginning of the game, at least. And yeah, it's it's all about like how much do you, how much do the designers care about making them useful versus how much did they just put them in because they are expected to be there. And after after playing through Pokemon Sun quite a bit in the past month, I can say that uh, I mean I don't use the debuffs as often, but I do use the status ailments a lot. Hmm. 
and that I... shows up a lot because they're very useful in competitive fashions. <laughs> yep. To the point where competitive Pokemon tends to have things like Sleep Claws, which basically says if an opponent's Pokemon is asleep, if one of their the opponent's Pokemon is asleep, you're not allowed to make another one go to sleep until that one has woken up. <laughs> oh, okay. Just as a because it would be just because it it's the same reason that they a lot of competitive Pokemon doesn't allow uh, evasion increasing moves. They're just considered too irritating. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just that sort of thing where it's like you know. Let's see, um, and Budai says one day he'll one day he'll finish trails. Series haunts him. Hey, you can do like me and just sort of uh, shotgun a handful of them at once and then set them down for a bit and then shotgun another few. <laughs> I had a very good time uh, slamming through Trails in the Sky first, second, first and second chapter and Trails in the Sky the third uh, over the course of like a month. Recommend it. Uh... Let's see. Um, but yeah, I think it's getting pretty light, so we're probably just about ready to be done. Uh, so, Gaijin, how do princesses feel about debuffs? Well, considering we're working in a magical world where charisma is probably one of the more important stats, and it seems like half the people that they made are bards or have bard-like abilities, it's probably kind of important. Mm. Um and specifically in the currently editing episode yet to be published, um, Maniacal Dance Aura is a thing. And it is a very, very debilitating thing. It's very <laughs> fun to deal with. Oh, that reminds me of uh, running a bard that uh, made good use of Tasha's hideous laughter. Similar instance, yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, just the ability to make everything within visual range dance mm. is fun. Useful. Yeah, so, yes, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor for Kindle and Kindle Unlimited, loosely, loosely based on Izo's Pathfinder role-playing game at this point. I have to say loosely because it's I don't actually reference anything in the main game. I mostly Nothing actionable. <laughs> Um, I've been trying really hard not to leave it like that. Um, <laughs> th thankfully, there's a very obvious and discreet list of monsters that cannot be used outside of D&D, for example. Yeah. So I just never use any of those. Good choice. You know, there's, there's so many other really interesting and fun things to use. Um, <laughs> as long as you just keep all the terminology vague enough, it, you could be talking about literally half the games out there. Hmm be fun but yes so um currently we have 10 episodes two side stories and a very long and um, self-indulgent paralogue available on, in ebook format that's also four paperbacks worth in dead tree format if you so desire so if you enjoy tabletop rpgs if you enjoy playing tabletop rpgs if you enjoy watching them and living vicariously through other people's Add dice rolls and poor social decisions, and this is an entire genre of YouTube videos, yay, then uh, check it out. 
it is Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yarimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U, on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hmm. Uh, Tam, tell us about the RP Gamer stream schedule. So, um, I am one of several people who stream on our normal uh, Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash rpgamer. I stream specifically Tuesdays and Thursdays mornings, but we do have content most uh, days of the week. Um, and this week, uh, all of our streamers appear to be back on track. Uh, we had Hooray. a lot of people out with sick. Yeah, a lot of people were sick last week or that scheduling conflicts, but uh, everybody is back and we are once more uh, putting on all sorts of shows with all sorts of games. Um, so the best way to find out when we're uh, doing that is Framing from our Twitch channel or on the <laughs> normal website at www.rpgamer.com. Hmm. While you're there, you can also ask us questions. You can ask them by going to, uh, by leaving a comment under this very episode, or going to the uh, RP Gamer Discord and entering the podcast section. Wait, no, not that. Entering the community section and go to the and join the RP Gamer Discord, where you can ask us questions in the podcast section. <laughs> uh, we're always happy to hear uh, questions. You can also ask us questions if you can catch us when we're streaming this live, usually around midnight Eastern, 9 p.m. Pacific, Wednesdays. Uh, we're uh, mostly we're, we're relatively. Uh, we'll go with relatively uh, consistent. Uh, but yeah, uh, you can ask us questions. We always love to hear from you. Uh, thank you to Fireminer and Budai for our questions today, and also for to Smoke and Joe for trolling wheels today. Um, but yeah, uh, you it's can also a good show when wheels gets trolled. God damn it! And it's and that means every episode. But uh, I was I gonna say something about that? But also. Uh, we, you can catch me, Wheels, and Smoke and Joe on Sundays at the same time, usually around 9 p.m. Pacific, uh, midnight Eastern, where we will be, where we play multiplayer games, or sometimes I get a headache and Wheels just played Metroid for a few hours, like last time. <laughs> yeah, that was a good time. And I yeah, stayed no, up I way too late because I fired up Metroid Dread. <laughs> Fucking idiot. That was that was a massive mistake. You knew what was going to happen. You knew what was going to happen. Sure did. And yet you did it anyway. It was worth it. Yeah, he's doing it anyway. Let I him regret go. nothing. But yeah, please please feel free to stop by those. Those are on uh, twitch.tv slash askwheels. That's where we record the podcast and shenanigans. Always good to have people in the chat. Um... <laughs> And Smokin' Joe says troll, and Pew says we do enjoy trolling. So, thank you to everyone thank who you, watched. Thank you, Pew. For now, I'm going to bed, so see you, Space Cowboys. See ya.